Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Liz Trust, my lettuce. It's Justin Peach. Good day to Ryan. Justin, what is going on in the world at the moment? It's Who's in charge? Who's going to be next? Will anything actually get better under that person? Will they be able to stop this sinking ship that's happening in front of our very eyes? All those questions about West Brom will be answered in due course as we go through all the games from the past weekend. On the show this week, we're joined by Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United fan channel. The Shoreham View. Johnny, how's it going? Not too bad. Uh, obviously, I wanted three points yesterday. Didn't get him, but I'm as good as can be. After being 2-0 down, nobody ever sniffs it too old, do they? Yeah, absolutely not. And you're probably going to be in a better mood than our other guest, who is YouTuber and Preston fan, Ben <laughs> HD. Ben, are you well? Yeah, I wish I could say I was joining you guys in better circumstances. But yesterday was a, a dark day that I feel like this will just be a bit of a therapy session for that, really. I'm glad we can be that therapy. I always feel so bad getting guests on the show after they've just lost in a derby game. But that's just the nature of football, I suppose, isn't it? Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, he's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games in the championship from the past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. So in a huge game at Bramall Lane, Sheffield United faced Norwich. The Blades came from two goals down to draw 2-2, a great game for the neutral though Bramall Lane was a battlefield once again after that infamous Blackpool game from last weekend there was also a million penalty shouts that we only actually had one penalty given and, and that wasn't even scored overall Johnny what did you make of the game I mean it, it must have been easier for the referee to get there and back on the Norwich coach because he's obviously from Norfolk <laughs> uh, from when I were watching it I mean the guy was abysmal and every said it's a great game for the neutrals I think it he had his moments, but it was very stop-starty at times. And then at other times, he just seemed to lose his mind and think, ah, sod it, you get in, you get in, everybody fight, I don't care. So it, it was a bit of a difficult one because at times it flowed and it was entertaining. And at other times, it was just like, what am I watching? This is League One standard. First half, really, I have to criticise Eckingbottom. He didn't really put the right team out. You leave your two best players off the pitch when they're available. I... I'm getting annoyed now because he doesn't seem to have a plan B. Like It's all about the system, not about the players. And I think you have to adapt to what you've got. And with the injuries we've got, that's costing us. And that was never more evident than in that first half yesterday when we're 2-0 down after, what, seven minutes. I mean, big mistake by the keeper. You got, you got a bit of luck when it bent into the net. But we just weren't playing well. So I expected it to be 4 or 5 nil. But second half comes along, we look more like the Sheffield United of old and get those points that's all we can do in games like this yeah the Adam Davis goal reminded me of my five-a-side game literally yesterday where the goalkeeper our goalkeeper had a shot it's hit the opposition player on the arse and he's basically on his own <laughs> penalty area but because yeah. the goalkeeper's so far out his own goal it's gone into his goal it was remarkable I wish I filmed it because it would have been uh, when, when you watch it behind the net angle uh, like on the EFL show I watched it on a stream yesterday because I was going to get to the match because I was not very well but the the ball is bending wide. And then suddenly yeah. it's like it's like this force of gravity pulls it back into the net. You just know you're destined to concede when stuff like that happens. So Roberto Carlos deflection into yeah. um, James, uh, Justin Timipuki had the chance to wrap up the game and get himself a hat trick with an 88th minute penalty, which he missed. He apparently took it off Josh Sargent. Johnny I'd probably be able to tell us a bit more of that because I, I didn't see that myself. But in all my years watching football, Justin, when a player takes the ball to have a penalty, 
I don't think I've ever seen it end well. Never works out, does it? And the penalty was dreadful, wasn't it, as well? It was um, for, a play, for a player who's so clinical um, when the ball's in open play, um, for him to, to, to miss that was, was dreadful. But yeah, it was, it was a side for it was an easy save for Davis, and maybe he makes amends for that um, slight cock up earlier on in the game. 100% redemption. Yeah, definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no win in six now for the Blades. Johnny, what's going wrong? Injuries. Uh, you can't blame it all on injuries. We had some players coming back, but it seems every time we get one or two back, we lose two or three more. Um, we, we've got a squad of players that are brilliant when they're all fit. I've said if that squad is fully fit and all firing, anybody who finishes above us is winning the division. The problem is you take two away from that. We, we look average playoffs at best. And that's a big problem that we need to address in January. We need some reinforcements. Maybe not first-team starters, but you look when we went up last time, we brought in the likes of Martin Craney, Richard Stearman, players who can come in, be solid, do a good job. Not start every week, but fill that role. Now we've got kids coming into places. We've got players that are out of position. And it don't work. You, you need a fully utilised squad because if you're not going to be fully fit, you, you're going to have runs like this. And we did it last season. We, we got Eki back. And then we lost, uh, sorry, we got rid of Slav, brought Eki in, looked like we were going to take the lead by storm. Lost three players, ended up in the playoffs with no strikers. It, it, you can't keep doing that, having the same problems again and again. And until it's sorted, we're doomed to set the world alight for three months and then go, oh no, here we go again. It's, Is Paul Eki bottom under pressure then? Because, well, if, if he, doesn't, he isn't if he, under pressure, should he be? I think he shoots himself in foot a lot. Second half yesterday was more positive against Coventry. You could see it was that was the most woeful game of football I've ever seen in my life. Coventry fans are going off as though they've they've had some giant performance and they were amazing and brilliant and oh how well they played and how good they were. They were awful. The problem was we were just as bad. I didn't see any team scoring until the penalty. And the problem is it didn't make a single. The game was crying out for Kadra. It was crying out for McBurney. It was crying out for players we had available to come off the bench. What does he do? We wait still we concede a penalty in the 88th minute and go 1-0 down and brings Billy Sharp on. The 76-year-old wonder guy that he is. I love him to pieces. That's not the sub you make at that stage. He needs a plan B. He needs to know how to shake it up and he needs to stop painting by numbers, really. Because you listen to him and you listen to every other manager. It's like they're all singing off the same in sheet. It's like they've got talking points they've got to do. I'd like him to show a bit more positivity. I'd like him to throw himself in there a bit more and try kind of invest in the players. Because while he's not under pressure yet, how long can he really say, well, I go to the top of the league for a few months? He's got to start delivering again. Otherwise, he will start to decline into that pressure situation. Interesting. Let's go to the West Lancashire derby. Blackpool beats big rivals Preston 4-2. On the balance of the game, though, Ben, do you feel like your boys were a bit hard done by? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a difficult game to sum up, really, because 4-2 in the end looks a little bit damning from a Preston point of view. But I think if you're watching the game up until probably around about the 60th minute, I think it was Preston who had had the better of it up until that point. Certainly our impetus at the start of that second half, we looked like the more likely side to go on and win that game. But really the turning point in that match was a Greg Cunningham injury and he came off replaced by Bambo Diaby and from that point onwards we just lost all our sort of cohesion within our side now something that Ryan Lowe has been criticised on I suppose so far this season is his in-game management and at times how he sort of 
tweaked things and they've not actually gone ahead and worked. I accept the fact that he was probably limited with what he could have done in that situation, given we've got, you know, Andy Hughes out at the moment, Patrick Bauer as well. So Bambo Diaby was the only centre-half to come on. But in doing that, we sort of shifted Liam Lindsay as that central man over to the left, brought Bambo Diaby on. And from that point, we just lost, like I said, all our sort of cohesion um, from that point onwards, really. And while we were looking the more threatening side, I'd suggest, for that first 60 minutes. Ultimately, it's another match and another 90 minutes where we failed to score a goal from open play. And I think that when we're discussing Preston this season, that is the sort of damning thing um, for us so far. I worked out after the match, but so far this season, we've averaged a goal from open play every 255 minutes in the league, which is absolutely bonkers. And, I mean, that's where we're at at the moment. So, yeah, we're sort of relying on penalties and own goals and free kicks going in. <laughs> that is pretty mad, isn't it, when you it's say ridiculous. it like that? Um, Justin Blackpool had a lot of injuries heading into this, didn't they? Which, to be fair to them, makes this result all the more impressive, doesn't it? Yeah, I saw a lot of Blackpool fans on socials beforehand dreading the game. Um, so for them to come away as 4-2 winners is quite remarkable. But as you say, the the, the course of the game was was very much in, in Preston's favour. I think Blackpool scored at the right time. I think Patino scored his goal against a run of play. Changes changes the dynamic of the game. Preston have got to get back into it. And one thing they um, you can argue about them is okay, they create they create a lot of chances, but they don't take they don't take them very often. And obviously the the open play stat that Ben mentioned as well is all, is all the more remarkable. Um, it, it it gives a, it, it will give the Blackpool players a lot of confidence. Um, and I think in previous games with Blackpool, they've done really well going forwards. So they've created a lot of chances. This wasn't one of those games, but where they failed in recent weeks, not taking those chances, go back to that Norwich game. Um, they took them here and they'll take that. Apart from the Hamilton goal at the end, that was a bit of a, you know, XG defy, wasn't it? So you can't really count on that. So maybe a 3-2 win's probably a fair result. <laughs> ben, I've seen a lot of anger directed towards Ryan Lowe recently. Where do you stand with him as a manager? I think it's a difficult one, really, because I think... I mean, we live in a world where, um, you know, if you criticise a manager, suddenly you want that manager out. Or if you don't criticise that manager, you're all for that manager. Where I sort of sit in the middle at the moment. I think that a lot of the problems that we've run into so far this season have been a result of us not having the quality and probably having adequately backed Ryan Lowe in the summer. It still baffles me that we didn't sign another number nine and we didn't sign a right wing back, given those were two priority positions for us to strengthen in the summer. I know we've signed Troy Parrott in the end on loan, but to be honest, I see him as a little bit more of a number 10, to be honest with you. So I think the problem that Lowe has run into recently has been we've become a little bit predictable with how we've set up and he's not really shown much tactical now to go ahead and deviate from that. I think that Ben Whiteman, for me, is our most important player. And as soon as the opposition suss that out and sort of man-mark him out of a match, we really struggle to progress the ball up the pitch from that point onwards. And I think that until Lowe comes up with a solution to that problem, we are going to run into these same problems where we're struggling to score goals from open play and we're not getting those goals um, from our midfielders, which has obviously been such a frustration this season for us. Yeah, Preston are 11th, which is quite good, really, isn't it? But... Considering the amount of upset Preston fans I've seen on Twitter, maybe it's just not actually telling the whole story about how fans actually feel about him. I, I, I struggle to see why fans are so upset about him, Ben. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a few things. I think 
one, we have played more matches than the vast majority of teams around us at the moment. And it is such a tight division that as soon as those teams play a little bit more, they'll catch up to us. And the other thing which I thought was interesting was we're actually only one point better off at this stage of the season than we were last season under Frankie McAvoy. And I think that at that point we were 17th in the league. But I suppose that just shows the, ch the quality of the championship this season has taken a little bit of a knock, really. But I don't necessarily think it's a case of being frustrated in terms of where we are in the league. It's more a case of we just want to see some goals, if I'm being honest. When you're subject to as many sort of goalless draws and dull affairs as we have been this season, it drains the life out of you because we as Preston fans know we're a mid-table team. We have the budget of that sort of side and we're happy to sort of be that team that's you know maybe challenging um, for that final spot in the playoffs. But what we want to do is we want to do that in an entertaining fashion. And as of late, that's just not been the case for us. And I think that's where the frustration comes, really. Johnny and Ben, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, Justin and I are going to start heading around the grounds and we'll begin with Ewood Park, where Blackburn remain joint top of the league after beating Birmingham 2-1. Joining us now is Blackburn fan Ryan Hildred. Ryan, thank God you've got Thomas Kaminsky. Yeah, what can we say about Thomas Kaminsky? He's... Um... When we signed him, you know, Rovers have been blessed with good goalkeepers in, in previous years. You know, Brad Friedel and Tim Flowers are, are obviously the two legends. And, and goalkeeper was a problem position for us for a while, actually, particularly at championship level. But when we signed Kaminsky, you could see that he was the real deal. And he is just getting better and better and better as, as the years go on. Um, and yesterday he was just nothing short of outstanding. You know, the shot stopping, his organisation at the back, he's just so calm and level-headed. And, you know, we went from really wondering about goalkeeper uh, for a few years in the Championship to, to now not worrying about that at all. You know, he is just well-established at this level. And the saves he made, particularly in that second half, you know, he's he's really earned the points for us. So, yeah, we're delighted with Kaminsky. Um, just a, a real solid keeper at this level. Dare I say it, possibly the best at this level. You know, that's up for debate, I'm sure, amongst champions. Championship fans. Yeah, that's certainly a debate. I'm sure we'll visit on the second tier at some point, Ryan. Uh, what did you make of the game? Yeah, really good from Rovers. Um, Birmingham are everyone's bogey side, aren't they? Um, I was actually quite nervous going into this game because obviously Rovers have had the, the win-lose sequence and, and not drawn a game this season. And if ever we were going to draw a game, it was going to be Birmingham because, you know, I think they go under the radar a little bit and and do cause sides some problems. So I thought it was really good from Rovers. Obviously, uh, we do invariably win when we get the first goal. So to go 2-0 up at half-time was, was brilliant from us. Uh, a really good first half in particular. The second half, obviously, a little more nervy. We let Birmingham back into the game. They were having those chances. And I think it was only a matter of time before Hogan obviously got the goal to pull one back. And then... As we've already reflected on, Thomas Kaminsky's really kind of saved us at the end uh, with his saves. But obviously, to win games, sometimes you need your goalkeeper to have a good game. So, um, yeah, obviously, five home wins on the bounce. Thomason has spoken about making Ewood Park a fortress. Obviously, you know, he's starting to back that up now with, with the five home wins on the bounce. So, yeah, really good win against a, a good Birmingham side. Yeah, Ryan, I came in for a bit of flack in the week after saying in Thursday's episode that I don't think they'll stay up near the top of the table. What do you make of that and where do you think Blackburn actually will end up? I think there's a few things I'll say on this one. Um, first, I think you're right to highlight some of the underlying data for Rovers this season. Um, we have had those games where we've really not created any chances and the XG and everything has just been pitifully low and 
you know, I've tweeted how angry I was at the away performances to Wigan and Cardiff. You know, we weren't playing Man City away to the greatest respect of Wigan and Cardiff. We were playing Wigan and Cardiff. So we've had some really bad performances, which would back us, you know, not being up there at the end of the season. However, what I will say is the championship is absolutely wide open this season, maybe more wide open than it's ever been. No one's looking like they're going to take the championship by storm or dominate in that sense. So if Rovers can be consistent at home and, you know, get those 2-1 wins at home to Birmingham when we're not maybe playing our greatest, then maybe we can make the playoffs. I think the thing we're looking at, we've been here before, we were here last season and we really tailed off after Christmas. I think if Thomason can address that, and we maintain this level of form, you know, maybe the top six is a realistic aspiration for Rovers, but I don't think any of us are expecting top two. It's just nice to be there again, isn't it, like last season? Cheers, Ryan. Yeah, Justin Blackburn had five shots to Birmingham's 17. Safe to say they're very lucky they've got a goalkeeper like Thomas Kaminsky, because if they didn't, Birmingham could have easily won this, couldn't they? Yeah, we were praising him just last week, weren't we? That wonder save or one of the saves of the season or best save you've ever seen against uh, Middlesbrough, wasn't it? Um, but that's just what he does. He's a, he's a good goalkeeper, Kaminsky at this level, um, very talented. And um, we know we know what he can do. That's why him signing a new deal, I think it was in the summer or um, around sometime last uh, season, was a, was a massive bit of news because on his day, he can quite easily be the best keeper in the league. And he's, and he's showing it for Blackburn because of... They are a team that concede a lot of chances. We've been through this already. Um, they're a team that concede a lot of chances. Um, so having having him in goal certainly gives them a solid foundation to to build upon. Yeah, definitely does. And we'll give credit where it's due for Blackburn first. Eighteen-year-old Adam Wharton scored his first senior goal. It was a very good goal as well. Once it, a beautiful celebration as well. I'm always a fan of any player doing flips and shit for celebrations, uh, but he took that very well. And he's actually impressed me quite a lot this season. To be fair, I think we can both agree there's plenty of talented players at Blackburn, isn't there? It's just in terms of how they perform as a collective. It's a bit questionable at times, Justin, but they continue to sit joint top of the table. And for me, this game is a perfect example of why I seriously struggle to see them staying that high in the league, Justin. If it wasn't for Thomas Kaminsky, they could have very well left this game empty-handed. And the top sides don't rely on their goalkeepers this much. After I criticised them in midweek, what stood out for me was there were quite a few Blackburn fans actually agreeing with me you just have to watch a few of their games to know that this team isn't one of the best in the division I think it's not just plain to see in terms of stats but in terms of games as well and this game was a perfect example of that only two teams average fewer shots per game than Blackburn that's Huddersfield and Rotherham not great company is that Uh, also only six teams face more shots per game than them so I think the bottom line is this Last season, I predicted Blackburn to fall away, and they did. This season, I feel even more strongly about it because the stats show they're not exactly blowing teams out of the water, Justin. They're not. Um, but you do have to recognise they're getting good results. I think I'll, I'll add some balance because I do I do completely agree with you. I do think they will drop off at some point um, because the numbers, they'll, they'll catch up with you. And I know a lot of fans have told us over the last couple of days that XG is bollocks and all that, but... You know, the stats paint a very vivid picture of how a season can pan out. And it's very rare that teams manage to outrun their statistics throughout the year. I think it's just Huddersfield um, when they were promoted. Reading, when they got to the playoff final, played Huddersfield, coincidentally. Um, and Derby under Frank Lampard, they're the teams that stick out for me who have managed to outrun 
their their data in recent years. It's very rare that they do. Um, but I but, think, but even then, Justin, if Blackburn were to outrun their XG, that would be the greatest example of it happening so far. I think. Yeah, absolutely. The teams you just yeah. mentioned. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, but what we've got to recognise is they're getting results without playing anywhere near a potential that they could be playing at. Um, so for as long as they're getting good results, they're integrating players from their academy into the first team doing it as well. It's a relatively new setup, new squad, new manager, and they're sitting where they are, I think is quite impressive. Um, but I, I think a lot of Blackburn fans do have to recognise that playing the way they are, conceding the chances they are, isn't going to be sustainable throughout the season. It's, it's very obvious. It's plainly obvious. It happened last season. It's happened to a lot of teams. Reading the season before last, actually, or another example. So, yeah, if if, if Thomason can can change things slightly and get them playing more balanced with more controlling games, um, creating more chances and reducing opposition to, to less chances, then there's no reason why they can't sustain a playoff place or a promotion push. But it's just very early days. But results are good. Just performances can be better. Simple. I'd agree with that. Is there anything Birmingham can take away from this game? They're the better side. I think most people can agree with that. It's just one of them, wasn't it, where they come up against a very good goalkeeper. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to John Eustace. They create a lot of chances for the possession they had. Not many times we can say that about teams who have a limited amount of quality in their team and squad. Um, so from a Birmingham City perspective, for them to be able to turn that possession into chances... Um, was a real was a real positive. The, the only frustration is um, they didn't pick up they didn't pick up any points from the game, and if it wasn't for um, Kaminsky, they, they they perhaps would have. Um, so I'd be very encouraged by the away performance. The result wasn't one they would have wanted, but the fact that they've managed to um, almost turn over a team that are competing at the top end of the table, I think goes a long way. Um, and yeah, it's it's a really good. A really good start from John Eustace. I've been really impressed with Birmingham, especially in the last sort of five or six weeks. Um, I, I just, I just think with a little bit of investment, a little bit of money into the squad, they could really be, they could be really, uh, be a really good side. Yeah, but that's not going to happen, is it? No, until the takeover no. <laughs> happens, but God knows what's happening with that now. Let's go to the South Wales derby, Justin. Swansea beat big rivals Cardiff two 0 was always going to be a tough day at the office for Cardiff after Cullen Robinson got sent off after seven minutes for throwing the ball into the face of Ben Kambango, which was, he was he was so daft, wasn't it, from a player <laughs> who we expect better from. Yeah, um, I personally, I'd have given a yellow card, but I understand why the ref's given a red card. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I, put, I'm the same, Justin, I'm the yeah. same. I think it was a bit harsh to give a red, but if you're giving the referee a yeah. decision to make that early in a game, it's just stupid, and it's meant yeah. his team are always going to be up against it. Yeah, and this is why it's really difficult to judge Mark Hudson once again, especially in this game, because like the QPR game in midweek, early red card, and it's changed the, comp- it's changed the fabric of the game completely. Because I thought Cardiff started pretty well. Um, and obviously when um, when you've got a senior player doing that um, and making that sort of error, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating as hell. Um, and Callum Robinson owes a lot of people apologies, especially the travelling fans, because in a big game like that, you need your, you need your players to be on it and to... Do that. It's schoolboy stuff. It's like schoolboy stuff. I'd, I'd have done that like, if I had a younger sibling. I'd have done that to a younger sibling. Why? What's the point? What yeah. is the point? Pure stupidity. Childish. Wants it. Yeah, very childish, in fact. Uh, another big refereeing decision was Cedric Kipre's handball, which... <laughs> <laughs> as far as handballs go, it's as blatant as it gets, Justin. How's the referee not given this? Yeah, I think um, I think his eye line was blocked a little bit um, 
but certainly the linesman who would have had a good side view of it should have seen it. But it's just it's just Ray's reaction afterwards. The little side eye he gives the referee, thinking, "Oh shit! I, how have I got away with that?" It is incredible. Um, but it is obvious. It's so obvious, um, and it and it does it does reiterate the need for a little bit more support for officials in the lower leagues because that was. That was a I mean, one. Justin, come on, <laughs> come on. I don't think that's even down to VAR or anything like that. It's just a clangor from the referee not to have noticed the most blatant handball I think I've ever seen on a football pitch. It can't be more blatant unless he catches it. Do you think that the referees just thought, there's no way anyone stupid enough to handball it like that in a football game? He's headed Possibly. it. He's surely headed it. He's just second-guessing himself. Because, yeah, it's so unnatural. That's the definition of unnatural hand position. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely bananas. I I mean, Kipre's an idiot for doing that in the first place. If the penalty was given, you'd go, Kipre, what are you doing? But the referee not giving it makes him look like an idiot as well. Of course, yeah. it's not going to be spoken about as much because Swansea went on to win the game and it ultimately didn't mean anything. But for the referee not to give that is embarrassing. Um, but Swansea would have been licking their lips when they saw the red card flash up for Callum Robinson. They still had a job to do and they did it, didn't they? Yeah, I think if this game was earlier on in the season, I don't think Swansea would have made the breakthrough um, but it just shows that how much they progressed over the last few weeks under Russell Martin um, and I think that yeah they were really impressive Matt Grimes was brilliant in midfield he controlled the tempo but he created a lot of chances as well um, Michael, Efemi, Michael Efemi's movement especially in the first half was great I think just before the the, the goal um, he made a really good run into a bit of space which meant the, the ball was cleared into Luke Kundal whose groin assist strain was probably one of the best passes I've seen this season um, and then Oli Cooper's fa- uh, finish was fantastic. It was a really good professional display, I thought, from Swansea. Um, they they were the maturer team, I think I'd say. And at no point did Cardiff look like getting back into no. the game. Of course, they were up against it, being down to 10 men for the vast majority of it. But Swansea could have very easily you know, got complacent, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the main thing for them, isn't it? Uh, it? It is a shame for Cardiff supporters, isn't it? Like the excitement of a big... Derby game was almost instantly flushed away because of that sending off. But this result sees them sat 20th now, Justin. Just two points off the bottom three. How serious is the threat of relegation for Cardiff City, Justin? I think if you consider the fact that Coventry are improving, not conceding, um, and then there's West Brom getting in a new manager who will surely get the best out of a very good squad at the Hawthorns. And then there's obviously Middlesbrough as well, who are on the verge of appointing a new manager, who again will surely get the best out of a very good squad. It does make you think, okay, well, Cardiff could get dragged into it here. But again, I think Cardiff's squad is 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 pretty good. It is good. I think they need someone a little bit more experienced than perhaps Mark Hudson has um, to get the most out of it. Because uh, you know, if we we take this game into uh, consideration, did they look like threatening? Did they look like a threat on the counter attack? At no point did. They, at no point they did, uh, unfortunately. Um, and that's maybe down to Mark Hudson's inexperience as a first-team coach, as a head coach, his inability to adapt his team to that situation. Um, he was let down by his player, and in midweek he was let down by the referee. So I find it very hard to uh, harsh to judge him on the last two games, but the situation is getting a lot more precarious than perhaps everybody outside of Cardiff maybe thought it would be. Yeah, I'd agree. I think... Cardiff are certainly one of those teams who are looking over their shoulder. As you rightly say, when you look at the teams who are down there, 
West Brom, you'd have thought, shouldn't be staying down there. Mm-hmm. Coventry improving, Middlesbrough should get better. Then that leaves the likes of Cardiff, Wigan, Blackpool very much looking over their shoulder, doesn't it? I, I still look at someone like Rotherham, despite where they are in the table. I think they will be in a relegation battle as the season progresses. But Cardiff is certainly one of those teams that uh, will be a bit worried, or very worried rather, about where uh, they are in the table. Um, Huddersfield, I'd already have pencilled in, in my bottom three, I think, just (laughs) because they've been so poor. The other two places, very much up for grabs, and Cardiff could be one of those teams who are, are dragged into there. Let's go to the M1 derby. Watford smashed Luton 4-0. If you ever needed proof of the old adage, form goes out the window in a derby, this is it, Justin. Yeah, we try not to feed into cliches, but this game was so cliched, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, Watford were brilliant. Um, I, I mean, it's very, I've not been able to say that very often very, this season, especially under Slavon Bilic, but they were absolutely fantastic. They managed the game really well. I think them getting off to a good start suited them better than obviously the game being 0-0. I think if the game still stays 0-0, suits Luton. Watford go go ahead early suits them certainly because they've got a good squad they've got an experienced squad as well and I think that helped massively they had a very experienced squad a lot of players experienced with these um, big games but I also thought tactically they were brilliant um, they stretched the game they made the game as wide as possible which I don't think suited Luton because it meant that wide players were isolated um, or they were isolating the fullbacks and getting crosses into the box um, first goal came from it for example um, so yeah it was it was a really good display Not uh, a lot of overloads by the by the wing backs especially Kamara um, yeah really really good performance from Watford it's one that's completely surprised me and taken me aback a little bit because we know they've got this in their bag they just need to do it consistently I think it was a strange game because I think 4-0 flattered Watford I thought they were good value for the win don't get me wrong and I thought they were very good but I didn't think Luton were bad by any means. And I think a four-goal deficit feels a bit harsh for them. The goals mainly came from, well, some of the goals came from just Luton being very poor defensively, which is not something we usually associate with them. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking of the Horvath, one where he's passed it straight to João Pedro, not the person you want to pass the ball straight to. And then the marking for the first two goals... I feel like that could have been better and also letting Watford be able to cross the ball from the byline as close to the goal as well. I think uh, you'd expect better from this Luton side defensively. Keenan Davis scored what I think was a scorpion kick for the first goal. Mm. I've watched it a couple of times. I still struggled to figure out exactly what was going on. Uh, Luton had a man sent off Gabriel Osho right at the end. I very much enjoyed Trooster Kong waving him off, <laughs> which is uh, the sort of shithousery that we will always endorse here at the second tier. I find it really hard to nail this Watford side down, Justin. They were brilliant against Luton, garbage against Millwall in midweek, very good against Norwich last week, and then awful against Blackpool a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> the thing is, that inconsistency isn't usually what you associate with a good strong team is it no it isn't but perhaps it's one that you can associate with a team that lacks an identity um it lacks a clear picture and i think that's just i think that just comes down to the it's very symptomatic of how the board treat the club um or the owners treat the club a lot of chopping and changing you're going from a rob edwards style of play to a slavin british style of play different coaches different styles of play um and I just don't think the players are quite set up for it. And that's where the inconsistency comes into it. There's that, lack, as I say, there's that lack of clear identity of what the playing picture should be like. And 
some days a message gets through, some days it doesn't. But I think I think the longer Bilic has with the team, the more likely they are to be better overall. I still worry about them at times defensively. Um, I think Luton had a, a couple of times where they got in behind, a little bit suspect. But overall, this is a this should be a launch pad for Watford to to, to build upon, um, like the Stoke game was, like the Norwich game was, but it proved to not be the case. So a lot remains to be seen, I think. I suppose the saving grace for Luton is that they always take at least one tanking a season, don't they? But tend to bounce back immediately afterwards. Annoying for fans that it's come in the local derby, but I suppose it's out the way now. They can carry on focusing with the promotion push. QPR remain top of the league after beating Wigan 2-1 in Mick Beale's first game since rejecting the Wolves job. Got to be said, not the best performance by QPR. They effectively scored from the two set pieces and didn't really offer too much else, but they got the job done. I can already hear angry Blackburn fans asking why is it okay when QPR do it and not when Blackburn do it. Well, it doesn't happen in virtually every game for QPR. Uh, A nice goal by Nathan Broadhead for Wigan. Very much enjoyed the passes in the build-up using headers for that one. Josh McGuinness nearly scored a goal of the season contender with a ridiculous (laughs) kind of overhead kick. Still can't really work out what he's done there. Of course, this game comes off the back of QPR boss Mick Beale turning down the Wolves job. We'll talk more about that in the news section, Justin. But another good win for QPR who just continue to tick over very nicely. One side not ticking over very nicely is Wigan. That's now five losses in six games for them. They've had a bright start to the season, Justin, but results have really begun to tail off recently, haven't they? Yeah, it's obviously four defeats in five since the international break as well. Um, but I think performance-wise, this, this was a decent performance. I think that's the frustration. The, the frustrating thing is they played well here um, and they certainly de- deserved a lot more from the game than a, than a 2-1 defeat and they created a lot of chances. Um, so for me... With that evidence, I, I do think Watford will be will be fine this season. But you do have to admit that they are conceding goals. They are um, they are in a bad run form. Wigan, yeah. Um, he said Watford. Did I say Watford? Oh, I yeah. said, well, <laughs> <laughs> same applies. Um, yeah, Wigan are conceding goals. Um, they're not they're not keeping as many clean sheets, and perhaps that um, that continuity they had from last season that helped them in the first first um, portion of the season has sort of t- has sort of dwindled a little bit. Um, but as I say. If, if they play like this in more games, if they play like they put this performance in like they did against QPR. Um, I do think they'll pick up more results, uh, but they've got to get that. Um, they've got to get more results at home. Um, that's the, the key thing is getting results at home because at the minute are they still winless at home, aren't they? they? They've won one game at home. No, they've won one. They've won one. Yeah, that's a big problem. That's a big problem they need to get overcome. Yeah, in my experience of football, Justin, if you don't start winning games at home and you're not winning away from home either. That's not usually a good mix because they've now lost three straight games on the road, having previously had the best away form in the league. And their home form has never been anything to shout about, considering they've only got the one win at the DW. Things really aren't going great. And it looks very much like that they'll be in a relegation battle this season, which I don't think is really a surprise for anyone. I think many people are expecting um, them to be down there, to be Mm -hmm. fair. They're all the teams I'm much more worried about than them. I don't think they're playing too badly as well, despite the results not going their way recently. They are just missing that bit of quality in the final third, I think. When Josh McGuinness hit the post near the end of the game against QPR, Wigan break away and it's 3v3. Ashley Fletcher gives it to Graham Shinney, who's got loads of space in the box, but he takes an awful first touch. A better one, and he could have very well scored. Moments like that, 
you need to take at this level and you need to have mm-hmm. quality players in those positions. And Wigan lack that at times because they're a newly promoted side with not the biggest budget in the world. You know, quality, good quality players at this level cost a fair bit of money or you've got to do some extremely good scouting to find them. So it's things like that which could catch up with them as the season goes on. Plus, it's not the thickest of squads in the world. So that's why Wigan probably will continue to struggle as the season goes on. It's just about, you know, being able to get over that line. Right, now it's time to have a break. Just enough that we'll talk about Burnley coming from two goals down against Sunderland. And then also Millwall v West Brom and uh, Millwall winning that game. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Burnley came from two goals down to beat Sunderland 4-2. Very much your typical game of two halves. Sunderland brilliant in the first, then Burnley just blew them out of the water, didn't they, Justin? Yeah, I think the quality shone through and I think the message company got across to the team at half-time probably came through a little bit as well. Um, yeah, it was it was a really good second-half performance from Burnley. Really poor in the first half, as you say, game of two halves. But I think if you've got the individual quality that Burnley have got, they're always going to be in games. But I think the fact that they showed a lot of character to get back into it, say something. It's a sign of a promotion-winning team, isn't it? If you can come from two goals down, away from home, at the stadium of light, quite a big atmosphere, hard, hard place to get results, uh, can be a hard place to get results. Um, yeah, I think it shows a lot of um, a lot of cojones from from company side, a, a young team as well. Um, it goes a long way. And he's had to rotate the team a little bit. I, I know he said before the game that he wanted to um, dive, well, not diversify the minutes, weird way of saying it, but uh, equal out the minutes between his, his senior pros. Uh, and he did that and that probably showed a little bit as well throughout the, well, in the first half especially. Yeah, I think this definitely did come down to individual quality some of the players that came on we're still getting to know in the championship but they surely um, showed what they're capable of Manuel Benson came off the bench got a goal and an assist he was great Anna Sarauri or Zorori scored an absolute beauty he's looking like a really exciting young player and considering Burnley have this pretty bad record of dropping leads then it was interesting to see them go two goals down and then come back um, themselves so maybe that's something they should consider doing more often not starting very well and then uh, (laughs) coming back later on because then they can't throw away leads can they Justin Uh, but this was also Burnley's first league win at Sunderland in 50 years so a big result for the Clarets who are just one point off the top of the championship for me Justin I'm interested to see if you agree Burnley are the most likely team to win the league right now. That's been massively helped by Norwich and Sheffield United both having many implosions in recent weeks. That's meant it's really opened up the league, that is, after starting to look like it might be those two running away with it. Blackburn and QPR are the two sides ahead of Burnley, but I think it would be safe to say those two would be both be satisfied with just a top six finish. And I think it would be difficult for either to maintain a top two push. The main thing for me about Burnley is... The consistency that they've shown. One loss all season and getting results, even in the games where they don't play especially well, is really important. It helps when they've got quality in abundance. You know, Josh Brownhill's been excellent in midfield this season. Zorori, Teller, Benson have all been really exciting to watch in attack. Martin and Roberts are two of the best fullbacks in the division. Taylor Harwood Bellis. Someone we probably haven't mentioned enough on this show, mm. Justin, because he's been great at the back for them. But 
The only concerns I would have is possibly up front. Having said that, they have got Jay Rodriguez, who's one goal off being joint top scorer, and his record at this level is very good in itself. And then the other worry would be losing points from winning positions. But the fact is, Burnley are just continuously picking up points while others are faltering, and I'd say would surely be the best bet to win the league as things stand. Uh, yes, my experience of covering the Championship tells me that it's not that cut and dry. If you think to Bournemouth last season, they were incredibly consistent oh Justin um, Justin I, I'm very aware that things can change very quickly yeah, as the yeah, season yeah. goes on but right now it's got to be Burnley isn't it yeah absolutely if you're making a decision right now and the season was to finish right now or the next couple of games you would say Burnley are absolute favourites to, to go up but um, if you look at Sheffield United squad there's a lot of quality and there's a fully fit squad then it's very difficult to see them not finishing in the top two um, and it's the same with Norwich perhaps if they've got someone who's less tactically limited than Dean Smith in charge it might help them as well um, that's not a dig but it's the truth with Vincent Company, he's got a young team he's a young manager and I think they will go through the motions a little bit if, a, if they do achieve a top six finish I think that's a massive massive achievement considering the turnover in players in the summer so I'm not going to say much I, I, yeah I, I don't think it's um, I don't think they're a team that may last the course of the season, is what I'm trying to say. I think they will have a couple of periods where they will drop off. But right now, yes, you've got to argue that they are going to be up there. But as I say, we've got a very busy period uh, coming up. And it's a big January for a lot of teams who could strengthen. Burnley might not. Burnley might leave it. And then that's that. Are you putting any more eggs in the Burnley are going up basket? I'm, how many have I got in there now? Have we, have we kept I think up? it was two last time we checked. Um, I'll, 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 I'll keep two in there. Um, I don't want to throw another one in. Um, ask me again, just before the World Cup, I might have a third one in. Depends if they stay unbeaten or depends if they start creating more chances is another thing as well. It's a problem for Burnley. I don't think you're going to have enough eggs in this basket just in the way things are going because surely you've got to be putting more than, than two at this rate. But well, I'll, I'll come back to you soon. Um, a bit of mixed emotions here for Sunderland fans, I think. I imagine not many of them were expecting to get much from this game. But when you turn it up, it obviously feels like a bad result when you suddenly lose, don't it? The main gripe for me is, surprise, surprise, the lack of a striker. Sunderland have now won one in seven and that's all been without a striker. And the decision not to sign another one has really cost them, hasn't it? To be fair to him, Jack Clark's done well, or as well as he, as well as he could, <laughs> considering he has no previous experience as a frontman. But results have clearly dropped with no recognised striker. And it quite simply didn't have to be this way, Justin. Sunderland were great in the opening 10 games and were looking like they could have a decent crack at the top six. That's still a possibility because of the compact nature of the championship table this season. But all the early season momentum from Sunderland has seeped away now. As I say, I still think they can make a decent go of a playoff push. But um, you're going to have to wait until Rob... Uh, Ross Stewart and Ellis Sims come back, but not having that extra striker has probably cost them at least four or five points, which could be huge mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, that early season momentum was, was quite important, but as well as that, having a forward is, is, is massive. And for all the praise we've given the board for um, the continuity, the, the change in um, uh, attitude to, to recruitment, it's been really important, but that decision not to 
bring in additional forward or a versatile forward is is really harming their their season right now. Um, I don't think it's all down to Mowbray. Some of their attacking play in the first half was really really good, um, but it is just lacking, it is just lacking that focal point. And unfortunately, they're they're going to struggle to convert chances because they don't have a recognised forward. But not only that, you've got four. In this game against Burnley, you've got four talent, four talented attackers. They've got no focal point. They've got no one to play off, um, and that, that that's an issue. Have you got players to run the channels? No, you want they, they, a lot of players there want want the ball to feet. Um, so yeah, you lose that um, variety in, in how you play as well. So yeah, it's it's a frustrating one and one that could be avoided had they just tried to bring in another player. Who 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 could that have been? No idea, but yeah, it's it's frustrating. Millwall v West Brom. This contrast was already interesting heading into it because Gary Rowett was being heavily linked with the West Brom job just a week or two ago. He was the one who had the last laugh as well as the Lions ran out 2-1 winners. Tyler Burry scoring the winning goal in the 90th minute. And it was a well-deserved winner as well, wasn't it? Because West Brom were awful. Some of the players they have. <laughs> and they play like that. It's getting a bit embarrassing now just how disjointed a team this is. They're now second bottom Three points from safety. The new manager has got a big job on his hands when they come in. More on that in the news. Worth mentioning as well that Jed Wallace got booted death here. He was absolutely relentless all game. But four straight wins now for Millwall, who have climbed into the playoffs off the back of this good form. Here's a question for you, Justin. Gary Rowett celebrated three years at Millwall this week, which I suppose is a bit of an achievement considering how much managers get sacked (laughs) in the championship. But in that three years, do you think he's been a success at the Den? Yeah, I I do. Um, He's turned Millwall into a team who were a bit of a yo-yo club. I know Neil Harris had them um, in and around the playoffs before he he was sacked, but he's turned them from what could have been a yo-yo team into a, a solid championship side who have the potential to compete for promotion. Um, that's a very difficult thing to do uh, and sometimes it takes uh, an extra change in manager to get you over that line but I think Gary Rout's on the right on the right lines and, and the squad hasn't had heavy investment over the years it hasn't had an influx of money it's been very strategic and gradual um, and that's why the uh, success or the momentum they've had or progression I should say has been a little bit slower than other sides um, but it's, it's they're a club on the up um, they're building a new training ground as well and yeah Gary Rout's been a steady pair of hands but also he's turned them into as I say a, a team that can compete for promotion yeah I'd agree with that Millwall before were looking over their shoulder constantly every season they haven't looked over their shoulder for quite some time now have they and I think that's because Gary Rowett has stabilised them as a top half team they need that extra bit more to become a playoff side maybe that could be this season with the signings of you know Honeyman Fleming who have all really impressed me so far this season Callum Styles as well so this could be the season that they finally break into the top six I know Millwall fans quite often moan about Rowett and the style of play (laughs) but in terms of results and where the club is they have somewhat improved in the time that he's been there, but it's more about just having the consistency into it of, you know, maintaining that top half status. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a Yorkshire derby between Rotherham and Hull. It finished 4-2 to the visitors. Hull were excellent here. Absolutely marvellous, which is quite surprising, really, considering this is a this is a Hull side who have on more than one occasion been pretty woeful this season. Uh, and it's, it's a bit more of the hall that we're expecting to see, wasn't it? Ryan Longman led the line well, despite not being a striker. Jean-Michel Serri was great in midfield. Star of the show 
for me was Jacob Greaves at left back. Not usually a left back by trade, but has been asked to do it recently. And he's done a good job. I think it says a lot about how technically good a defender he is that he can slip into the left back slot fairly seamlessly and, and still do a marvellous job. But he's a really, really good defender in here. He was being strongly linked with Middlesbrough in the summer who were by most accounts, willing to fork out quite a few million mm-hmm. for him um, before he signed a new deal to stick around at Hull. And that's much to their benefit because they've got themselves a very, very talented young defender here, haven't they, who I'm pretty sure will be playing Premier League football at some point because he ticks a lot of boxes in terms of you know what you need to be a top-level centre-half. Uh, but this game, Justin, Hull, were you as impressed with them as I was? Yeah, I think the most impressive thing was this. You know, I think before the game, this was a, a matchup where I'd have thought Rotherham will probably outrun them um, because Hull have been a disjointed team with absolutely no cohesion. So they had to match Hull, uh, Rotherham's work rate, and they did. Um, they, they 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 more than matched him. They they matched him. They allowed the quality to come through, and everything seemed to click for them uh, in this game. The midfield battle was won by Hull again. If you look at it. Ryan Woods, uh, John Michel, sorry, maybe looking like a, a lightweight mid- midfield, but when you add in uh, Greg Doherty and Regan Slater, there's legs in there as well. Um, so there was a nice balance to the team, and it was a very, a very well, well organised midfield. I think allowed the um, the attacking play to to really prosper here because yeah, it was a, it was a top performance from from Hull again, not one we've been able to say very often, which is nice. We know they have got good attackers; they just need to blend together and, and get going like they did in this game. They were brilliant. And defend a lot better. Reading ended a run of three straight losses by beating Bristol City 2-0. The second goal saw Shane Long setting up Andy Cavill. 2010 called. They want their strike force back. <laughs> uh, Reading deserved the win here though, didn't they? Definitely. Bristol City didn't have a single shot on target and were generally very uninspiring. Yeah, if I was if I was to throw a criticism at Reading is they didn't have the game sorted earlier on they created a good amount of chances they should have been two or three nil up uh much earlier on in the game um and yeah it was a, it was a very poor Lynch win um they kept the opposition at arms bay at arms length arms bay what's that you mean at arms length um bristol city were poor but i think they were made to look poor because reading were very organized and as you say for bristol city it's the inconsistency that you very well predicted I certainly did. Coventry have now won three games in a row after beating Stoke 2-0. I mean, where has this come from, Justin? Coventry were looking really, really poor earlier in the season, weren't they? But now they've managed to get some fitness together. Um, they were starting to look like the Coventry that I think many people were expecting this season. Gustavo Hamer was the star of the show here, wasn't he? A brilliant goal and a brilliant assist, for that matter. On his day, a top-quality midfielder, isn't he? I mean, how long have we been praising... Gus, Gus Hamer, the Hamer Badger for is he's a uh yeah, he's he's a good player, he's a good all round player. You know, discipline lets him down sometimes. Obviously he's just come back from a four game ban. Um but he didn't look like he was he'd been missing any games. Um he was absolutely fantastic. He you could have put him in the midfield on his own in this game and he'd have ran it. Um he would have been absolutely fine on his own. Didn't need Jamie Allen or um was it Ben Chief alongside him? Anyway, didn't need anybody else alongside him because he was fantastic. Um and he's got that quality, didn't go down either from what was a very obvious foul from Ben Wilmot or could have been a very obvious foul from Ben Wilmot um, and it was a very tidy finish um, yeah top top player and as I say doesn't need anybody else in the field he could play in the field on his own it surprises me that more clubs don't yeah. look at him but I suppose it's, it's I suppose it's the discipline isn't it that clubs are looking at thinking 
can we really afford to be missing this guy for at least 10 <laughs> games a season? Um, but yeah, without a doubt, talent-wise, this guy is a Premier League player, isn't he? He's yeah. really, really good. Uh, works his socks off as well. And then the final game for the weekend was Middlesbrough nil, Huddersfield nil. This game is awful. Right now it's time for the news. Yes, it's time for the news. And TalkSport says Carlos Corberan has been offered the West Brom job. The former Huddersfield manager could be appointed in the coming week. Good appointment, Justin? I think it I think it would have been a good appointment five games ago, six games ago. But I think West Brom's position has become a lot more precarious now. I think even West Brom fans have almost seem resigned to relegation. Um, so it's a lot to turn around. You need a, a manager to come in and motivate a team, not just get them organised, but to come in and motivate a team. And there's a lot of hangover, I think. Steve Bruce coached teams are very limited and that showed against Millwall in their defeat. And I think Carlos Colbrand's got to come in. He's got to get them solid. He's got to get them not making as many mistakes as they had as they have done in the past um, because that's what's let them down. They, they make mistakes a lot. They make a lot of mistakes that cost them time in games um, and he's got to eradicate that and one good season at Huddersfield is that enough to convince me maybe maybe not but I do like him he's a very good coach he's just got a lot to do I don't know if it's too much yeah I I think Carlos Corberan is a sensible appointment yeah. for West Brom having said that I'm not completely convinced by it Carlos Corberan did an unbelievable job at Huddersfield last season. Getting that team into the playoffs was a ridiculous achievement and Mm -hmm. being only two dodgy penalty decisions away from possibly being in the Premier League, you've got to take your hat off to that. Having said that, I get flashbacks to Carlos Corbrandt in his first season at Huddersfield where Mm -hmm. they were dreadful. Now, maybe he's learned from that. Maybe he's learned from the mistakes that he made there where they were terrible defensively. Um and were okay attack-wise, but there was a lot of tactical mistakes that Carlos Corbran made there. I don't look at this appointment and think, right, this is 100% going to get West Brom out of the trouble that they're in. And it very well, possibly, could not actually improve anything. I mean, Corbran's just coming off the back of a spell at Olympiacos, which went terribly. Um, So I'm not sure... I'm really not sure about this, Justin. I think he's a good manager, but West Brom are such a basket case of a club right now that I'm not 100% convinced that things will improve. It becomes a West Brom tax, doesn't it? No matter how good the appointment could be, because Ishmael was a good appointment on paper and Steve Bruce was a steady hand um, and neither, neither worked out. So, yeah, it becomes it becomes um, a really difficult one to predict reiterate it I think five or six games ago if Corbram was put in charge I'd I'd be very content with where they would be right now but because he's coming in and West Brom aren't scoring they're conceding um, and they're not getting results not getting wins that's the important thing not getting wins it's a lot to turn around for a manager who's relatively inexperienced compared to some who might be available if that makes sense yeah worth remembering the last time they got in a manager who uh, managed to perform miracles in a season with a club who <laughs> yeah. many were expecting to go down. 
Uh, it didn't go very well. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see with this one and whether it actually does go through. Because as we got caught out with on Thursday, Justin, sticking with manager news, QPR boss Mick Beale has turned down the Wolves job. He said, I've asked others to be all in, so I can't be the first to run away from the ship from the QPR project. I mean, I think this caught everyone off guard, Justin, but fair play. What is that ship called? I've seen a lot of QPR fans. It's HMS Pista League. So I'm not surprised he doesn't want to leave because they are they are <laughs> going places under him, aren't they? Um, but yeah, I, I'm not surprised he turned down the job. I, I think he's a he comes across as a man with a lot of integrity, um, which a lot of managers don't. Um, and, and he does that. You look at Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder. That's all, that's all Chris Wilder had to do for, for Middlesbrough. He didn't. Um, he was hanging around seemingly for what he thought would be uh, an offer coming in from a Premier League club um, and he ended up getting sacked so full credit to Mick Beale because I, d- I do think under him at QPR um, they could be a Premier League team I'm, I'm I'm very much firmly in the camp of if they can get a few players in January prop them up improve the squad maybe bring in someone you can put chances away as well albeit uh, um, uh, or add competition in the final third I think they could end up being up there this season. I think there'll be a team that surprises um, uh, the championship. I think that might be QPR. I mean, it's phenomenal loyalty on his behalf, isn't it? (laughs) Quite often we hear loyalty is dead in football and there aren't really many examples you can give of where it's not dead. Um, But tell that to Mick Beale. I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he did take the job. I'm sure most managers in his position would have taken it, but it's rather honourable on his behalf, for him to say no, isn't it? Perhaps he was thinking to himself, I've only been a head coach for a matter of months. This is possibly a bit too soon for me to be taking a Premier League job. Because if it Mm. went wrong, that might be his managerial career pretty much over and done with. But it's huge news for QPR. I think this could give them an extra boost for the remainder of the season. I mean, they're doing brilliant anyway, aren't they? Top of the league. But I think it could give them that bit extra because he's asked everyone else to be all in to the QPR project. The players now will be looking at him and thinking, fair play, he means it. Let's give that 1% extra uh, for this manager who's clearly 100% committed to getting this club into the Premier League. So, yeah, hats off to you, Mick Beale. You've you've really uh, kept your word with this, haven't you? And it's even more great news for QPR considering he so far looks to have proven his credentials as one of the best young British coaches Mm -hmm. that there is around right now. In remaining manager news, Michael Carrick still hasn't been appointed Middlesbrough boss. I was under the impression that they wanted him to be in place for their game against Huddersfield for this weekend, but I think it's being held up by backroom appointments. Mm -hmm. That's what I've heard anyway, but we'll wait and see. Savin Bilic says Watford midfielder Imran Lauza is going to be out for a few months after breaking his leg. We spoke about that on Thursday, Justin. Didn't realise it was going to be that serious and that becomes a huge problem for them, doesn't it? Sheffield United forward Rian Brewster has been the subject of racist abuse on social media. The club have called the messages disgusting and have reported them to the police and Instagram. In a statement, it said he will now be offered support and assistance as we push the relevant authorities to ensure the person behind those po- behind those posts is brought to justice. This is the third episode in a row now, just in that we've had a player being racially abused in the news section. And while, of course, it's nothing new, it just shows that this problem isn't going away mm-hmm. anytime soon, unfortunately. 
Blackpool have re-signed midfielder Grant Ward. He had been training with the club following his recovery from an Achilles injury. He has now agreed a deal until January. Cardiff have won their appeal against Jack Simpson's red card against QPR on Wednesday. He was given a straight red after giving away a penalty after just 18 minutes. Ask either of us and I think we'll both say it wasn't even a penalty, let alone a red card. So the right decision doesn't give Cardiff any points though unfortunately and finally Luton striker and general championship legend Cameron Jerome is going to play international football for Grenada he will be making his debut at 36 years old Justin yeah I saw this and I was saying yeah my jaw did drop a little bit I was like do they know he's 36 years old he's not in his prime but I mean fair play fair play he's, he's getting a taste of some international football and long overdue I say Cameron Jerome's a, a very good forward who should have been playing international football a long time ago albeit should have been playing for England if you ask me <laughs> well fair enough <laughs> <laughs> Right, now it's time for the polls of the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the Championship. So the first question we asked was this, will Carlos Corbran be a success at West Brom, yes or no? What is success for West Brom? Is it staying up? Then then yes, I think he could keep them up. Um, is it delivering promotion this season? Probably not. So it just depends how you evaluate success. Yeah, I, I don't know what success is for West Brom at this point. Um... I suppose just getting them back into the promotion race scoring would be goals. enough, wouldn't it? Scoring goals would help. Um, I, I, I don't see top six being a, no. a chance now for them this season. But if he's a long-term appointment, then getting them back into a top six race, I suppose, would be success. Um, 54% of people said no, he won't be a success. 46% said he will. What's the biggest derby outside of the Premier League? Blackpool v PNE. Cardiff v Swansea, Luton v Watford, Sheffield United v Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, I never knew, I never realised how much Blackpool and Preston fans hate each other. Um, and then the Watford-Luton game is bad to the point where Watford had to board up the Graham Taylor statue. Um, yep. So, I, I mean, I'd edge towards the South Wales derby, to be honest with you. I'd go Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. It doesn't happen enough, unfortunately, because mm. they seem to be in different leagues all the time. Uh, but that's the one that won the poll. 37% of people said the Steel City derby. 32% of people said the South Wales derby. The M1 derby, Luton v Watford, got 23%. 8% said Blackpool v Preston. I feel like that derby's been a bit hard done by there. And finally, is the new Arctic Monkeys album good? Yes or no? No, it's really below average once again. It's just Vic Reeves on vocals, Alex Turner, what is going on? I don't know if he listens to the podcast. <laughs> if you do listen to the podcast, please just do more albums like Favourite Worst Nightmare or the first one, but I can't remember what it was, but both unbelievable albums and now he's just, <laughs> what is what is going on? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's I don't know, I mean... How do you, it's not even it's just elevator music now annoyingly and you know what's worse Ryan is I've paid a lot of money to go and see them in London in June because I haven't they're the big band I've not seen yet and I feel like I've wasted my money you'd if if you did go to see them live you'd just be praying that they did 90% their old stuff wouldn't you yes yes I, and yeah anything up to AM just don't do anything after that please just don't because You'll ruin my night. Alex, you dick. There you go, Alex. The massive fan of the podcast that he is. <laughs> right, now time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. 
Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eights. Welcome back to the show, YouTuber and Preston fan Ben HD, and also Johnny Gascoigne from the Shoreham View. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and Johnny would say Villa, that's one down, and Ben would say Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So we're now less than a month away until the World Cup in sunny Qatar. Will the three Lions get their hands on the trophy after 56 years of hurt? Hopefully, but I need you to now think about England at past World Cups, gentlemen. The question this week is, can you name for me the last eight teams England have faced at the World Cup? I mean, the actual tournament and any team England have faced more than once at a tournament counts as only one. So we'll kick things off with Johnny Gascoigne. Oh, Sweden. Yeah, a very comfortable win for England in the quarters of the last World Cup against the Swedes. So that's one down. Ben, you'll go. Oh, this is difficult because it's how far do I go back here? How many tournaments does this stretch back to? I want to say, I feel like Panama is in there. Yep, spot on England. Tonked them 6-1 in the groups of uh, the last World Cup. Justin? The idiot in me nearly said Italy. No, I completely forgot this is a World Cup-themed uh, question. Um, so it'd be Croatia. would be the one I'd go for. Absolutely. If only Harry Kane squared it. England faced them in the semi-finals of the last World Cup. So that's three down. You're going very well so far, gentlemen. All three of you still in. Johnny, your go again. See, I'm going to kick myself if I get this one wrong because it's two countries with a similar kit and a similar flag. And I'm probably going to pick the wrong one. I'm going to say Ecuador. That's incorrect. Oh, I don't know where you got that from. Um, ah. <laughs> um, so Johnny's out, unfortunately. That means it's down to Ben and Justin. Oh, You've no. got five remaining. Ben? Uh, I'll go in with Colombia. Yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> that's who that Johnny, Johnny was thinking of. Right, yeah, of <laughs> yeah, of course. Colombia beat them on penalties in the round of 16. That means you're halfway through, Justin. I can't remember who was the final group game in the 2018 World Cup, but the first one was Algeria. Incorrect. What? It was in Algeria. What? <laughs> no. Was it? I said that with so much confidence. I'm, you did? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't Algeria. No, so Justin's out. That means it's all down to the big shoulders of Ben HD. You've got four remaining, Ben. Oh, dear. We've got four remaining. Um, right. Thinking to that 2018 World Cup, there was definitely Belgium in our group. You're absolutely correct. That was at the last World Cup. Yes. Played them in the group, as you say, but also played them in the third, well, the, the pointless third place yeah. thing that they do at the world cup and um, so you've got three remaining ben you've named the five most recent ones i think the five most recent ones. right can i be cheeky and ask for did the remaining ones come at the 2014 world cup or are there still some remaining from the one more game left? from the last world cup oh damn right well i can think back to 2014 2014 was um brazil and Oh, it was Hodgson, group stage. Uh, Costa Rica. 
I am amazed that you remember that game because I cannot Joel remember Campbell. it at all. Yeah, Joel nil Campbell. nil in the final Fire. group game of the 2014 World Cups. So that's correct. That's the second least most recent one, if that makes sense. You've got two remaining, Ben. Oh, this is difficult now. Right, so there's a 2018er and a 2014er. 2014, uh, Uruguay, they were in the group that year. Yeah, that was a depressing day. Um, England lost 2-1 to them in the group stages of the 2014 World Cup, which meant England were essentially out. And that means yeah. you've got one remaining, Ben. What was the other game from the 2018 World Cup? Oh, no, I'm going to kick myself. It was someone who we must have batted early on. I said Panama before, didn't I? Yep. Oh, I feel like it was some European team. It can't have been another South American team, maybe an African team. I feel like it's on the tip of my tongue. I'm going to have to push you for an answer. I think I'm going to have to tap out. I can't, I can't for the life of me think. I'm not sure I know this one. Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, that means you failed at Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight, gentlemen, this week. The team you were looking for, Justin, was very, very close. It was in Algeria, England played in the group stages. It was Tunisia. Tunisia. Yeah. Gosh. Harry Kane scored twice against them in the groups. I think it was 2-1 in the end, wasn't it? The first game of the last World Cup. So there we go. It was so close, but you fall and foul to Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. He is a very happy man this weekend. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you all for listening to the show this week. We'll be back again on Thursday to talk about the two midweek games I think we've got in midweek, as well as all the news from the Championship over the past few days. But a quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Johnny Gascoigne from the Sheffield United channel, The Shoreham View. Thank you for your time today, Johnny. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Also with us was YouTuber and Preston fan Ben HG. Ben, thank you for your time today. Cheers, guys. All the best. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.